Hello and welcome to episode 863 of The Sleeper and the Bus. It is Wednesday, November 11th. I'm your host, Paul Sporn. Today I'm joined by a special guest from PitcherList.com and recently appearing on MLB Network's MLB Now, Alex Fast. Alex, how's it going, buddy? Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be here with uh, with truly the number one Twitch streamer on Twitch right now. I'm looking at the InfluencerMarketingHub.com. It goes Ninja, Shroud, Summit One, and then Paul Sport. It's like That's, unbelievable, dude. None of that is true. No, no it is, maybe, dude. Maybe the top three there. Or no. maybe the top three. Hasanabi got to be up there, too, after his uh, political streams. But, um, <laughs> man, MLB Now, you killed it, my man. Oh, thank you. Had the pleasure of doing it a couple times remote and loved every second of it. My boy going in the studio and just <laughs> slam dunking on fools. Yeah. How fun the, was I, it? I, I'm almost envious of you because you didn't have to drive to Secaucus, New Jersey. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, it was, I mean, it was amazing. I, I originally went there thinking I was literally just going to do one segment. And then like, as I was driving, got an email being like, you're doing the whole show, dog. Yes, yeah, this like, is oh. your show, my guy. Yeah. Which was a little bit terrifying, but I mean, the, the most important thing was all the support afterwards. That was awesome. I mean, you reached out, a bunch of friends reached out in the community and it's really hokey and trite, but like, I, listen, man, three years ago, I was walking through the streets of Greenpoint listening to you and Eno. You know what I mean? Like, it just felt like a fun win for the community and just proof that, you know, all these people who work so hard, like, they can they can get there. And I have so many people to thank for even having that opportunity. So that felt good. It felt good it was great, it felt man. for us. And, and you killed it. And, and you know, I understand that feeling, too, of, of feeling like it's, it's, it's an overall win. Um and you have a lot of acting experience, right? So that, as far as that part of it goes, there, I imagine there aren't too many nerves as far as like public speaking to that end of it, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I was acting for like eight years, so you're right. It's it's not like as terrifying. I feel a little bit more comfortable on camera. I just think it's funny that you know I'm just totally another New York City failed actor. So the <laughs> fact that I'm getting more work as a baseball dude, I wish I would have just done that sooner, quit maybe, sooner. And yeah, maybe baseball. just gone from the jump. I mean, uh, you know, Ian Khan out here doing big shows and everything, but he realized where his bread is buttered baseball yeah. baby that's where you want yeah. to be he's got uh, the trifecta he's got the acting career the politics career yes and baseball yes he's got the trio he's done turn among many other things uh and now in baseball a good bit and then has his political podcast guardians of the republic with with the producer is now justin justin mason because yes. they were on hiatus because uh producing it got to be too much and justin was like hey I'll produce it. So y'all check it out. If you guys are into politics, Guardians of the Republic, really good show with him uh, and Patrick Murray from the Monmouth uh, Monmouth uh, polling company station. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he runs he runs that poll and he does a great job with it. It's a really fun pod. And uh, yeah, it's good. It's good all around, man. I love I love the diversity of of people that we have as far as the backgrounds that they've come from. And speaking of that, you know, not to put you on the spot with this, you've been working to to expand the diversity overall in the community mm. as well, you know, bringing in uh, more women, more people of color. And, and it's, you know, something that we want everyone to feel like, hey, the fantasy community is your place to be. You love baseball, you love fantasy, come come hang out, you know? So I yeah. uh, appreciate the efforts you and Nick have been been headlining there over at PitcherList as well. 
Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I think we had a big realization not to spend too much time on this that like we are a super inclusive community, but we could be a bit more active in how we're being inclusive. And we have this mentorship program that I started that has over 80 people in it right now, which is awesome. And some people are starting to publish their work and uh, it's great. We're really excited about it. And some people have some really awesome takes. And the, the cool thing is like of all 80, you know, some people obviously fell off and were interested, but there hasn't been like a single person who comes in and they're like, Mike Trout's overrated. You know what I mean? Like, there, there's there's no one who's like coming in trying to like make a huge name with the hot takes. They're so all you, really smart, reasonable people. You didn't accept Skip Bayless into the program, is what you're saying? He he tried, he tried, but when I saw the name Kips A Lesp, then I knew maybe maybe that was his alias. God, I don't actually know if he said that. That just sounds like something that his dumbass would say. Anyway, well, you and I were talking pitching today. Yes, as we should do, right? You work at Pitcher List. We're both obsessed with pitching. Um, you, your your main focus on MLB now was talking about uh, CSW called Strikes Plus Whiffs, so it's only fitting. And and the way we're going to be doing this is uh, we're kind of identifying breakouts in certain sections of the draft using the two early mocks ADP. So we'll start with guys who we think could be top fifty overall players, not starting pitchers, overall players who are going in the ninety to one fifty range. Then guys who could be top 100 going 150 to 210. Then uh, top 150 going 210 to 275. And then some guys going uh, that we think could be top 200 type players, which is deep league uh, play type guys that are going 275 or later. And the cutoffs were, were determined based on how some of the breakdowns and where some of the gaps happened in the ADP as well. Because you might figure, well, why didn't you just do top 300 for that top 200 one? Well, there was a there was a big drop there where it made sense to do the 275 thing. Uh, so it all it all kind of checks out. If you go check out smataplaysfantasy.com slash two early mocks two with the number two, you can see the latest ADP and, and kind of follow along there and make your own picks. So let's just dive in. Let's talk about some guys who could be top 50. That's Love pretty it. high impact um, if you're turning into a top 50 overall player. Now, just to give an idea here, let's... Uh, Let's pull up the player raider from this year and look at uh, some guys who numbers are populating right now. So the the lowest pitcher uh, was actually 49. 50 was Lourdes Gurriel Jr. So the, the latest pitcher in the top 50 was Marco Gonzalez. Now, <laughs> to give you an idea on that, let's tell you what SP he was. Marco Gonzalez was ninth among mm. starters. So only nine starters made the top 50 this year. Now, I don't know if what it looks like in a normal year, to be honest. I, I don't recall offhand, and we don't have historicals here on the Rasball Player Raider. I, I, my guess is over a full season, more than nine would make the top 50. But I wonder if the small, the short season, plus the fact that a lot of teams were being very, very stingy with innings early on in the two-month season, I wonder if that held back the count there. Um, as far as how many made the top 50. But you're probably talking about a top 15 type starter here mm. if they're going to make the top 50 overall. So we're putting some lofty expectations on these guys here going 90 to 150. And let's start with your guy because I really like him too. And there's one key issue that he has every year. It's, it's certainly not talent. But why don't you give us your name and then we'll dive into him. Yeah, so uh, the first guy I wanted to start with is actually Lance McCullers Jr. I'm personally all aboard the Lance McCullers Jr. train for the 2021 season. I mean, uh, the way I wanted to begin by talking about him is like, 
cherry picking stats is a uh, starts, excuse me, is always like a really hot topic when it comes to analysis, right? Like what five game stretch matters, yes. you know, where, to, where can we remove one game? Where can we not remove one game? But I think we can all agree that it's okay to root remove one terrible inning. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like if there's a bomb inning, I, like it, it was just an inning, like it, it doesn't last. I, uh, I'm all about the game logging too. And it's not that it doesn't count. It's that it colors the picture better. You know, it's, yeah. it's a lot different to go five innings and four runs for like four different starts as opposed to three badass starts and then one game where you get bombed out, like you said, for one inning. And I know the inning that you're going to highlight. So why don't you continue that point there on McCullers? Yeah, so I mean, like you like you said, you know it. There's one inning against the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks where he gave up. I believe it was all eight earned runs Correct. in that one inning. Right? He was all eight earned dealing runs. was the crazy thing too. He had 100%. a no hitter going through three. Yeah. Which was not the first time, oh, the only time, excuse me, that he had a no-hitter. He had another no-hitter going on later. Actually, I believe it was the next game against the San Francisco Giants. Uh, and in this one, if you take that inning out, the eight on runs, his ERA goes from 3.93 to 2.81, which insane. is absolutely insane. I know, I absolutely love that. We know that the knuckle curve is absolutely fantastic. It was the sixth best pitch by CSW in all of baseball among starters. The big thing that I keep harping on is the introduction of the cutter. I think it's something that doesn't get enough credit coming into 2020 there was no surprise how lance mccullers was going to beat you it was down right he was going to beat you low yes. with the curve he was going to beat you low with the change up he was going to beat you mid or low with the sinker he started integrating this cutter a little bit more to change the eye level and i think there's a chance he can also increase that four seamer usage and that's really big for him the other thing obviously there's two big things like you were going to say injury is really big for him what's going to happen in terms of innings and then also theoretically there are some command issues what happens when he loses the feel for with that knuckle curve why the cutter is important. Why another reason the four-seamer is important. Overall, the CSW this year was 32.8%. Not only was that just outside the top 10, that was the best of his career. Um, I think he's going to have more innings than people think next year. I don't I know so if too. they can. I don't think they can necessarily afford to cap him at like that, 110. That's exactly it. And he's 27. You know, at some point, uh, how 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 protective can you really be? Yeah, I think both points matter there. The fact that, like you said. How much can Houston continue to do that? Uh, like, what luxury do they have? I don't think they have any. And, again, it's time. He's 27. It's time to, to not, you know, abuse him, but let him get a full allotment of starts. Let Lance McCullers show what he can do. He's done it on the biggest stages in the playoffs. He's shown flashes throughout his regular seasons. I think it's time for him to get a full 30-something, you know, depending on how many games we play, of course, uh, but Here's to get a full allotment of starts. Here's another reason backing up exactly what you just said, right? He's a free agent in 2022. So go. I don't really think they care how many innings he's going to throw next year unless they're really considered, you know, considering sitting down and re-signing him, which they theoretically could. But I, I think they're going to let him go out there and throw. The arsenal is there. The upside is there. The command I'm not as concerned about. So, yeah, he's a guy who I could see being a top 50 dude. Fully on board there, and he was actually the second choice to my guy. So I've been I've been a McCullers guy for years. So I am co-signing that all day long. As far as your guy who could uh, make the top fifty overall from picks ninety to one fifty, my guy is somebody I liked coming into this year. Felt pretty good about what he did, and that's Pablo Lopez. And uh, he took a step forward, I think. And he had a little bit of the game logging last year, where you could kind of dig in and be like, hey. The 10 earned against the Mets 
was also the 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 one bad inning type of deal. He gave up mm-hmm. eight in the first of that game, and, and then two more, and then his pitch count was up to 62. They realized, hey, it's not your day. Uh, the very next start, he faced the same Mets team and threw seven innings of one hit ball, uh, shutout ball there against them. And so it was it. And then you look at the start before that, it was six shutout against Atlanta. Now, this is 2019, but sandwiching two shutout efforts around that 10 innings, it's, it shows you the fragility and the volatility of pitching, like how much it can just change on a dime and, mm-hmm. and why it is so uh, so impressive when somebody puts together the 32 start seasons that we see from guys like DeGrom and Verlander and Bieber and, and, and the studs of the league where they almost never flop you know they have a couple bad outings for them five earned in six innings this is like their bad outing that makes it so much more impressive uh, but i think he rebounded very nicely this year or, or or carried on because like i said i thought he did a lot of good work in 2019 but pablo lopez carried it on this year um uh, improving the strikeout rate which was the big thing i was looking for i remember writing about him in the offseason about some of his pitches being capable of of doing more than we'd seen i had done an article on good pitches from bad pitchers the idea of bad pitchers meaning that they had bad stats not that they were actually bad pitchers but i really liked uh his changeup. it had gotten it had garnered a 631 ops 26 percent strikeout rate 18 percent swinging strike rate and i was like yo there's something here with this hmm. changeup from pablo lopez he ends up throwing it more this year 30 percent he also incorporated a little bit of a cutter as well, fitting that both of our guys have done that. He sliced that home run rate in half from 1.2 to 0.6. That was instrumental in his success this year for a 361 ERA, 119 whip, 25% strikeout rate, very capable uh, 8% walk rate. I'm, I'm a guy who rounds because I don't think the precision is necessary, but I will say 7.5 is a little bit better looking than 8%, but I'll take an 8% all day. Uh, on, on a walk rate when you're striking out 25% with a 12% swing strike rate. So add it all up, 24-year-old Pablo Lopez did really well. I'm excited to see what he can do in another full season uh, next year because I think there's a lot to work with here with somebody who's throwing 94 to 96 regularly on the fastball changeup and at least incorporates the cutter and the curve. If one of those became the go-to, maybe if he got rid of the curve and just went all cutters, uh, it, I, as it stands right now, they're both show me pitches, but I'm okay with that because of the way the changeup uh, is so effective for him and keeps him uh, able to get lefties out as well as righties. So I'm a big Pablo Lopez guy, and I'm excited to see what he can do in 2021. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I mean, I think people don't realize that he's 24. Like Very he's young. really young, man. And he's still like, I had a pitcher talk to me and he was like saying to me, like, I don't think people realize I'm still learning how to pitch. You know what <laughs> exactly. I mean? I'm, I'm young. I've made 20 starts or whatever. I'm still learning how to pitch. Now, Pablo Lopez has made a few more starts, but I think he's still learning. Like you said about the cutter, it had a 49 WRC plus. Not many guys are having a pitch thrown 75 times and putting up a 49 WRC plus, because usually if it's putting up that good of a result, they're That's throwing gonna... it a bit more, yeah, you know? Exactly. He has 227 career innings, so basically just over a full season. Um, You know, so he's he is absolutely still in that learning process. There, 42 total starts for Pablo Lopez, and so to see more advancements is certainly not out of the question for him. I like what Miami does pitching wise in general. They have a solid park to play in. I think the offense is going to be more supportive than we've seen in recent years. I actually thought they were going to take a step forward this year. It was was weird. I kind of is one of those things where you get the answer right, but when you showed the work. 
the work wasn't correct back in math, back in uh, grade school. Sure. I liked them to be kind of a sneaky team, but I thought it was going to be going to be because their offense improved. Their offense was pretty terrible, and yet they made the playoffs. So it was like you got there, but uh, the way you got there was kind of wrong. I do really like that pitching staff, though, and Pablo Lopez actually isn't the only guy I like. I, I like Alcantara as well. Um, and Sixto Sanchez, although I'm not paying the premium on Sanchez this year. That's that's kind of what's so exciting, right? I mean, it, it, with all the helium that's likely going to happen with him, uh, you're probably going to be able to get Sixto Sanchez. I mean, you're going to be able to get Lopez or Alcantara like after him. It wouldn't exactly. surprise me if Sixto just keeps moving up. I, I, too, am not interested. The last thing about Lopez, too, you already harped on it, but just more concrete evidence. That changeup gets 23% more horizontal movement than league average. It's it's like it, it it's like a Rodney Dangerfield pitch. It's like a no respect. I tell you, respect. I agree. I agree. It's so a great nice. reference, by the way. You're really reeling in the kids. <laughs> hey, I just watched Sick Ladybugs. I'm sorry, dude. I know it's. I got Ladybugs on Criterion Collection. Love it. I absolutely love it. All right, let's move on to our next group here. Picks 150 to 210, and these guys we think can finish top 100. Again, I'll do the same exercise here. Give you an idea of who was finishing top 100 this year, down toward that that tip top there. Uh, again, the, the 100th guy was a hitter. It was Jackie Bradley Jr. The closest pitcher was Chris Bassett at 98, who did have a, uh, some some interesting uh, starts this year. 96th was Tyler Glass now, who obviously people love. So that kind of gives you an idea of where the top 100 is. They were 23rd and 24th. Glass now 23rd, Bassett 24th among starters. So again, we're probably talking, I, I, think, I think for top 100, in a normal season, it's closer to 35 30, 35 starters as opposed to 24. But uh, that, again, we're talking about a, a pretty impactful starter here. So, again, we'll start with you. And uh, you got two answers here based on one's going pretty late because of his age. I think there's some concerns about maybe retiring. So you feel like that's a pretty easy answer. And then you have another one who I love, and I'm glad that you picked because I talked about him so much this year that people would have killed me if I picked him. So let's talk about your your quote unquote, as you call it, your cop out answer first. Yeah. And you see right through me with the second one, by the way, the cop out answer for me is Charlie Morton. I understand he's 37 years old. I understand he's coming off one of the worst seasons of his career by ERA. But guess what? Still at a 12 percent swinging strike rate, second highest, second highest of his career with a minimum of 25 innings pitched. It, the thing about Morton, too, is like to me, like velocity solves all of his problems. Right. And we saw velocity start to be around 95 miles an hour again in the playoffs. So it's not like it's completely disappeared. This is a guy like the question that I'm always here that we're always all of us dealing with this, what are we trusting and what are we not trusting, right? When it comes to guys like Patrick Corbin and Charlie Morton who lost ticks of velocity, to me, it's easier to believe that that was because of the pandemic and the weird ramp up and the long spring training and stuff like that. And because we saw that later for Morton, it leads me to believe even more that he's going to be fine. The other thing too is if a team, let's say the Rays resign him, which they theoretically could, even though they, I think, rejected his qualifying or whatever it is. Uh, let's say they option, get him. Which I think was 15 and they're yeah. certainly feeling like, hey, we can get him cheaper than that. Exactly. And listen, if they are, he's not going the wrong way in terms of velocity. You know what I mean? They're not signing him knowing that he's going to all of a sudden be sitting 92, 93. Exactly. I think he can 
get back to sitting, you know, mid 94 like he was in 2019. The velo, and like I said, it's the key to everything, right? We saw the fast, we saw his elevated fastballs drop from 38%, excuse me, 36% to 27%, right? Because when he doesn't have that velocity, there's not as much Magnus effect. It's not going to climb the top of the zone as much. As a result, we saw the barrel rate go from 8 to 20%. We saw the Woba go from 296 to 344. There are solutions there in terms of velocity. So for me, if he resigns, that's kind of an easy guy who could crack the top. 100 the other one I, I i picked him exactly because of what you said i bet you didn't want to talk about him again i was wrong about him coming into the season and i'm happy that i was wrong because it taught me more about him and that's aaron savali the 4.74 era is a bit of an eyesore made better by the 4.03 fip and the 4.11 sierra mm-hmm. there were positive strides there for him right the k rate goes up to 22 percent. the walk rate drops to five percent something interesting about the power because that's an eyesore Of all the home runs that he gave up, he had a 36% no-doubter rate, which is a really good sign, right? That was actually top 15, meaning that of all the home runs that he gave up, not many of them would have been out in every single park. It's not a perfect metric, but it gives you a hint that there theoretically could be some regression. There are flaws here, but he's another guy like Pablo Lopez who is still learning how to pitch. And when you look at the movement profile, right, when you look at the pure stuff that he's dealing with, the horizontal movement is elite, on mm-hmm. these pitches. A cutter is getting se- his cutter is getting 73% more horizontal movement than league average. And I know for a fact that this is something that he works on with guys like Shane Bieber. I know that that core is incredibly they work with one another, they respect one another, and they try and make one another better. I'm just waiting for that big leap that Aaron Savali takes forward. We saw some at the beginning of the year, it, right? It, it, yeah, it was looking, you know, amazing. I, I was, I was, I was victory lap, and I was feeling good because I got him everywhere too. And you know, through five starts, he's got a 291 ERA for Savali. I'm like, hey, let's go. This is looking good. Then the home yeah. runs became a bit of an issue. He gave up homers in all but one of his final seven starts, putting up a 6.30 ERA, including eight runs against Pittsburgh of all teams in the final start of his season, with three homers against them. And so it did. It did start to fall apart a little bit. I feel confident, and it's, it's pure speculation. There's no way for me to prove it. He got in a full six month season. He just moved back out, back out, and been in at least the low fours, if not the the mid to high threes with his ERA. I real, I really think he was just going through a little bit of a blip that he would have been able to work out of. I agree. And he's another guy, too, that like, as is evident by where he's following in Samada's early fantastic ADP, I don't think you're going to need to break the bank for him. Maybe mm-hmm. there will be some helium because I think a lot of guys, including myself, would be excited to talk about him. But I don't think you're going to need to break the bank to get him. Exactly. And that's that's where I'm going to be drafting him again. So there is a little bit of silver lining to that uh, bad September there is that we'll be able to get him cheap. Now, if we end up being in the same league, it'll be a, a game of chicken to see who goes for him first. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I mentioned I didn't want to pick Savali because I, I never shut up about him this year. It's not like the guy I'm taking I ever shut up about either. So it, it was it was six of one, half dozen the other of, of guys that Paul never shuts the hell up about. But I'm taking Joe Musgrove, man. And uh, I, I'm just I'm just not quitting this guy. I haven't seen any reason to do so yet. In fact, this was actually his best year by ERA. Now he's one of those guys in the past couple of years before this that he got overlooked because the ERA started with a four, and so people wouldn't give enough credence to the fact that he's putting up a 118 and a 122 WHIP respectively in those two seasons. And usually the other way around, guys will get love. Clowns like Robbie Ray. Because they have, you know, mm-hmm. a, a something uh, that starts with a three, you know, like a three seven three eight ERA, uh, people overlook their one four whip to go with it. 
I like the guys who work the other way because they end up being a lot cheaper. And uh, that's what we've seen out of uh, out of uh, Musgrove. Now, 124 whip this year, still solid, 386 ERA. What I really like is his finish to the season. He went the other way from, from Savali. He kind of worked his way through the early part of the year, had an injury that cost him a whole month. So he really only pitched a half season. Down the stretch, final five starts in September, 216 ERA, 38 strikeouts, five walks in 25 innings of work with just 18 hits allowed. Um, you know, in that division, the, the Mega Central was the easiest one as expected. But he did face the Cubs, White Sox, Cardinals, and Cleveland. Uh, Cincinnati was mixed in there, too. Since he and Cleveland were pretty bad. The two mm-hmm. Chicago's were pretty good, though, and St. Louis was solid. So he was doing his best work. In fact, the worst of those starts was against Cincy, the, and they were the worst of those offenses. So that's kind of hilarious. But I loved what Musgrove was able to do, and I was worried that it would raise his price. It did a little bit, I bet, but not to a cost-prohibitive standpoint. He went 203 in those mocks. I'm paying that all day. In fact, I pay even a little bit higher on Musgrove. I still think there's the full breakout season. You know, I don't know if you remember um, Corey Schwartz and Mike Siano when they did the Fantasy 411 for MLB.com yep. years ago. Yep. They were one of my first forays into all of this uh, as far as, like, listening to pods and everything. Them and the uh, uh, Matthew Barry, Nate Rabbits at, at ESPN. And they had this thing called, uh, what was it, like the list of 12 or whatever? Yeah, uh, yeah. They, and they had these certain guys that they – based on these criteria that they had. And I think the first few lists ended up being 12 guys. It wasn't always 12, but it was just based on X number of innings, uh, age, and this sort of stuff. I think the threshold was like 500 innings. Musgrove hasn't even hit 500 innings. He's at 496 and two-thirds. So yes, he's going to be 28, but he's... Kind of, he's not as learning as like Pablo Lopez. He, he should know some things by now about himself. And we've seen that. We've seen consistently strong swing strike rates, the ability to maintain walks. Uh, and, and we've saw a little bit of the strikeout upside this year at 33%. So I still think there's a full-on breakout season coming from Joe Musgrove. And I hope it's in 2021 because I'm going to have him in a bunch of spots. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And it, theoretically, this full breakout season might not even be in Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? Because that team that would work for they, me, too. They might not even be as terrible because I do believe like Cabrian Hayes, I think, can be very good. Obviously, well, they, you know, I don't know how great that offense is going to be, but still, I, I, I'm excited as well. And oddly enough, uh, one of my bosses is Corey Schwartz. And oh, every once in a while, I have to I slack him and I'm like, come back, dude. Like, we need you. Like, Come he's, back to the fault. He's fantastic. Um, let me see. I, I'm finding I'm, I, I want to give the full list of 12 uh, um uh, criteria Wires. here since since I brought it up and I, I feel like I'm not doing them justice if I don't. I'll say I'll say this while you look for it uh, well, to back up your Musgrove point. He was one of three pitchers who had a sub two FIP in the month of September with a minimum of 25 innings. It was literally him, Denilson, Lamette, and Corbin Burns who all had fantastic ends <sighs> to the year. So I, I'm with you, man. 0.92 WHIP in that last couple starts. 25 innings of a 0.92 WHIP with a 16% swinging strike rate. Like, come on, that's great. So it's just as simple as uh, I, I, it wasn't any deeper than I thought. It was guys who had previously, in the previous inning, they crossed the 500 innings threshold. They just had found something that crossing that 500 innings going into the next year and identifying the, the guys with the best upside from that point. In fact, the 2012 list that I found here, and I don't remember how these guys did in 2012, but there's some big names on here. Uh, Max Scherzer, have you heard of that guy? Heard of him. Uh, you know, Brandon Morrow was a guy who uh, we always kept thinking 
had the chance yeah. to be really good. He ended up doing some good stuff out of the bullpen. People forget Gio Gonzalez had a hell of a career there. Did a mm-hmm. lot of good. Brandon McCarthy could never really stay healthy, but he also had some years where he was starting to finally put it together. Um, Rick Porcello, man, I used to buy in, into him for the Tigers as well. I'm like, if he just ups his strikeout rate, and then he ends up stealing a Cy Young. Un- yeah, the thief. Leaveable. The, the thief, dude. Anyway, uh, so yeah. Joe Musgrove wouldn't even be able to make the list of 12 this year because he's only at 496 and two-thirds, but he's that kind of guy who I think is poised for a breakout. Let's go to our next group here. Top 150 overall, and they're going in the 210 to 275 range. So now we're getting deeper, and, and we're starting to look at some guys who, okay, you know, they're but they're still viable in all leagues. To give you an idea who 150 was this year, it's Blake Snell. He was the mm-hmm. 150th uh, best player this year. And the next closest starter was Taiwan Walker at 146. Max Scherzer was 144. Obviously, a lot of those guys, uh, well, Scherzer and Snell, they were drafted much, 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 much higher than that. Uh, but they finished 36, 37, and 38th among starters as far as uh, Scherzer, Walker, and Snell go. So, again, we're talking probably top 50-ish type starter overall in a normal season. I, I still think these numbers are coming in a little light on total starters for this year based on uh, the shortened season. So we're still, th- think of that. Think top 50 potential starters. I almost took your guy, but I knew you'd want him. And so <laughs> I figured I'd do, I'd do you a solid and, and leave him for you. And you and you obliged. You you ended up taking him. I probably would have changed my answer if you didn't take him. But but tell us a little bit about uh, about your Baltimore Oriole. Yeah, I mean, I I think John Means is you know there's going to be a lot of reasons why people are sleeping on him, right? Overall, the 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 line that he ended the year with isn't necessarily going to make people jump. Uh, he also is a Baltimore Oriole, and people are always going to assume that as a result he is not going to amass any wins whatsoever, right? And listen, I understand a 4.53 ERA and a 5.6 FIP is not fun. A 3.93 Sierra is really fun. Um, the point about the, the hood, there's a lot yeah exactly. Like. There's a, there really is a lot to like, and th- but there there are like two more caveats. He did begin the shortened season injured, which I think is important, and then mm-hmm. had to literally deal as he started going with the untimely passing of his father in the middle of the season as well. So this is a dude who literally just wasn't able to strictly focus on baseball. Now, when it comes down to the actual facts, what we're dealing with in terms of pitches and velocity, there is a lot to love, right? Obviously, the big thing is the increase in velocity on the fastball. That's fantastic. When he's sitting 94, 95 or whatever, you're like, oh, my God, this is a completely different pitcher. The thing about him, though, with that increased velocity is he kind of lost the feel for that pitch when he jumped up the velocity. One of the things I kept talking about with people is this thing that I learned from driveland called proprioception, which is essentially Pardon? like – yeah, I know. It's it's this really weird term. It's essentially like the feel of a pitch. You can get this new velocity. You can change your mechanics and stuff like that, but you don't really have the feel for it quite yet. And I think we saw him dial it back down for that reason in the second half when he came back from the passing of his father. The velocity mm-hmm. dropped back down a little bit. It went down to 93. But when it did for his final four starts over 23 and two-thirds inning, he had a 1.52 ERA with a 3.49 FIP, a 35% K rate, and a 16% swinging strike rate. He was also oh. literally, according to, I believe, home runs minus expected home runs on baseball savant, the unluckiest pitcher in terms of power. He gave the, the example I always give is he gave up a home run to Tyler Wade. That would have been an out 
in 29 stadiums. It would have been an out in literally every stadium but the one it was hit in. Which was it at New York? It was at New York, yes. Of course, of course <laughs> it, it was. It cracks me up. And don't like, forget it, the unluck factor of having to be a Baltimore Oriole. Yes, totally. And even with that, even knowing that like he gave a majority of those home runs that shouldn't have been home runs were actually on the road, which is kind of shocking to hear. So I think if you bring in the fact that he's still going to have some elevated velocity, not maybe the 94 that we saw, but he's still going to have some elevated velocity. He still has arguably one of the best changeups in terms of out pitches, right? Yes. It's going to be like a swinging strike machine. It's not a Castillo. It's not a Pablo Lopez. It's still a very good out getter, which is great. Should he fall behind in counts? And then the thing that's finally going to take a step forward that I really hoped was going to happen this year but didn't is that curveball. It's a damn good curveball. It's a really, really good curveball. So now we're talking about elevated velocity on the four-seamer that he can put where he needs to. We're talking about a fantastic changeup, and we're talking about a really good breaking pitch. That's that's the makings of a really good pitcher there for me. I totally agree. And like I said, I would have picked him if for some reason you hadn't. And um, we talked about the velo. Sometimes more isn't better. Yeah. And uh, the the fantastic sideline reporter Melanie Newman for the Orioles mm-hmm. had mentioned to me that uh, that the changeup feel was gone a bit, and and that the control was leaving him, even though the velo was was there. She even mentioned, I think it needs to drop a little bit. Not one start later, it drops a little bit. The velo does, and everything falls into place for him, uh, and really starts to starts to get going. So that was awesome. Um, to see her just kind of predict that. By the way, she also does play-by-play for them, not just sideline. She was yeah, in the booth she's as awesome. well. So she's absolutely killing it over there. Uh, Melanie Melanie Lynn N. Follow her on Twitter. She's awesome for the Orioles. But yeah, John Means, man. John Means business. Uh, and I love I love, <laughs> I love, love saying it. And uh, although when he gives up a homer, I like to say that whoever hits him owns the means of production. Because I have <laughs> the same jokes, and I just recycle them, and I don't care. But, so does uh, my boss. So does my boss, Nick Pollock. Uh, yeah, of course, and that's that's fine. That's that's why we get along so well. I'm in yeah. on means, and he's gonna be dirt cheap for, for any number of reasons. You know, the surface stats are ugly. The Orioles pitching is not getting love. Don't forget, though, people probably haven't fully tuned into the fact that this is a new regime. This is not the regime that that botched it with Arietta and and botched it with Gosman. Now they this regime got rid of Gosman, but he wasn't their guy from the start. So. You know, Means wasn't either, but they, he was a little bit more uh, malleable putty than maybe somebody like Gosman was. And uh, I think even guys like maybe Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer have a little bit of uh, deep league interest for those of you who are in the super deep leagues there that might might be looking at uh, Baltimore starters there. You might you might look at those two as well. Uh, but my what, guy, go ahead. Go sorry. Ahead. Do you know what Keegan Aiken's swinging strike rate was on his fastball? It's such a random question, but like, what do you, what would you think a guy with a ninety-two mile an hour fastball would have in terms of swinging strike rate? Like seven percent? Wouldn't it be like it was, super? You're right. You're totally right. It was fourteen percent. That's insane. On a ninety-two mile an hour fastball. I mean, he did have a uh, thirty-five strikeouts in twenty-five and two-thirds. So he was out here in these streets getting getting those uh, getting those whiffs. So good on Keegan Aiken, twenty-six year old. I know Dean Kramer had some some viability here and there down the stretch. So like I said, they might uh, might be turning the corner there with that regime developing a little bit of pitching. And I think Means can absolutely be the top dog as far as that goes as well. So keep keep an eye out for that. My guy in this uh, in this grouping here is another guy. I'm, I'm sorry to be going to the well again on certain guys, but I think you're going to see that with people in the pandemic season, 
not losing faith on on players that they liked and just saying, hey, I'm sticking with so-and-so. In this case, so-and-so is Jose Arquiti. And uh, he had COVID. I, I mean, excuse me, he had an undisclosed injury. I could never guess what it is. I could never, never <laughs> guess why this undisclosed injury kept him out for a month. I'm sorry, I, I should not speculate like that because it's very, very difficult to figure out. I could never possibly figure it out. Um, but yeah, so he missed all of August. So he missed half the year. But he comes back and actually put up a 273 ERA. Now, the surface stats uh, or the underneath stats weren't very good there. He only had 17 strikeouts. But he was kind of feeling feeling himself out. I ended up going back and watching a lot of those starts. I can't watch Houston starts live because of the super cool blackout rules that are so neat, not antiquated, and definitely do not hurt the game. They are very awesome, and I love them. Um, so I can't watch their games live in a legal way. And so I went back and watched some of them. And you could see this was a guy who was still in charge of what he was doing, meaning while he wasn't dominating uh, those first couple starts, he had like three total strikeouts. I still felt like it, he wasn't exactly skating either against the Angels and the A's, particularly against the A's. Like through six innings of, of two-hit ball, giving up two runs, three walks. I felt like he was finding his footing again after a month-plus off, but knew what he was doing. And then... He closed the season a bit better with the strikeouts. They started to amp up a bit. And then we get into the playoffs, and he looked a lot more like himself. I, I thought Urquidy pitched well in the playoffs there. He had the one the one rough outing. Uh, I believe it was a start against Oakland where he gave, gives up four runs. But most more importantly, strikeouts were back. He really was looking like he knew what he was doing again. Felt more comfortable. Going to be 26 years old. You talked about it with McCullers, that they can't afford to just baby guys i think arkady is that type of guy too he wasn't a mega prospect in fact their mega prospect hasn't seen the field still forrest whitley does he still exist is he still a thing I, uh, <laughs> if you find him let me know okay yeah i'll, I'll definitely let you know like arkady and christian javier they've passed they have long passed him um as guys that are going to be instrumental to their success because they're not rebuilding i mean i know they're going to not have verlander again and um uh, Granky's going to be a year older. They're probably going to lose Springer, but they're not a crap team, and they, they, it's too, it's still too good of a core to tear, tear it down. So I think McCullers, Urquidy, Granky, that's going to be their Valdez. Don't forget, he had a great year, and Javier, that's going to be their five, and they're going to have a lot of expectations on those guys. I think Urquidy can be one of those guys whose whip is very strong. And we'll see kind of where the ERA is. Remember last year, 41 innings, 395 ERA, 110 whip. A little bit of home run issues because he has more control than command. That's why the walk rate's low, but the home run rate's a little high. But I'll take that because I, I don't mind having those guys that have the great whip, even with a little bit of an elevated ERA. So he's perfect if maybe you did get suckered into some Robbie Ray types. Maybe you, you drafted their strikeouts. You've got some good ERA, but you have a little bit of whip issue. Arkady is the perfect fix for that. So I really like him next year. I think he can have a big season. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I'm curious to see what he did. He like had a lot of weird um, pitch location changes, and it seemed like there was enough of a sample for me to believe that it wasn't just an unintentional thing. Like the four-seamer in 2019 was actually a little bit lower in the zone to kind of tunnel with that changeup and that slider and curveball really well. He brought it up a little bit more in 2020 and then started hanging the curveball a little bit. When you look at the location, you're like, oh, don't put a curveball there. No. And But it's still like a 200 batting average compared to a 438 in 2019. There's something interesting about like that could theoretically hit be him. I didn't watch as many Arcadia starts. That could be him trying to do 
do the elevated curveball, which I really love because like it's garbage, right? Oh man, how could you not hit a curveball that lands over the center of the plate? But that's the whole point of it, right? Especially if you're freeze. throwing elevated four seamers, right? You're yep. gonna freeze them. The guy's like, oh wait, I see the hump. Is it gonna drop out of the zone or is it gonna drop in the zone? Maybe I could crush it or maybe I can't. And considering guys Dylan, have a 200 batting average, like maybe they didn't. Dylan Bundy made a whole thing out of it. The first pitch. Oh, yes, I mean, that's yes. So sexy watching him do that. So like, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that I think Urquidy can get away with, and he's. He's very much still formulating who he is as a major league pitcher, but he has four legit pitches with the four seam change up slider curve. And he has, I'm, I'm a sucker for younger guys with a legit change up. That's why Pablo Lopez and Arquiti make this list. I, I love when guys have change ups that are ready made and ready to go. Cause what do we usually hear about a guy? Oh, he's got the heater and a breaking ball. He just needs a change up and he could be good. And a lot of times that they never develop that change up. Hey, uh, Tower Glass, I'm looking at you, buddy. Um, and so when somebody already has that with the potential to uh, get the other pieces in order, it can be a lot of fun. So that's where I'm at with Arkady. And I think he could be uh, a lot of fun. Now let's go super deep. Let's go guys who could be top 200. So they're just, they're just you know, deep mixed league, but mostly only league. Uh, they're they're only league viable. Like they're they're really a piece of your team in only leagues. But in the mixers, like ten and twelve teamers, they're still like kind of streamy types. They're not they're not super instrumental to your team. And just again to give some reference there, the closest starter to two hundred was one ninety nine. That was Zach Eflin, and he had he had uh, ups and downs this year. There were times when he was really good, and then there were times when you were trusting him as a uh, as as a streamer, and he was punching you directly in the throat. Um, <laughs> so you wound up with a 397 ERA, 127 whip, 10.7 strikeouts. Uh, all in all, more good than bad, and that's what we're talking about here. And um, I like your pick, and I believe he's sticking with his team. Did he not accept the qualifying offer? Do I, I, I have that right? Yes. You're correct. Yeah, today, earlier, right, uh, not too soon before we started shooting this. Um, the only other guy that we think might has until just like an hour to decide, yeah, right? Gaussman, yeah, he has an hour to choose. And so the guy who did accept it is indeed Marcus Stroman. So why don't you talk to us about Stro, who took the year off due to the COVID? Um, he didn't have it, but he took he he decided to opt out. How do you how do you play with all that? By the way, I, I had to write up his profile in the Baseball HQ Forecaster, and it was hard to write about a guy who it was hard to write about the guys who played the two months, let alone somebody who skipped the entire two months for non-injury reasons. Yeah, it's so friggin' tough. I mean, like we have no idea how front offices are going to handle innings pitched, right? Because there wasn't someone who exceeded like eighty or ninety. I know, I know there was no one who exceeded ninety. I don't remember if there was someone who exceeded eighty. But it's going to be rare, I think, to see someone go from like 50 innings to like 180. So how do we approach it when a guy goes from zero? You know what I mean? Yeah. There were three guys over 80, by the way. Uh, Lance Lynn, 84. Marquez, 81 and two thirds. Hendricks, 81 and a third. Yeah. Okay. Great. So not necessarily the the toughest tossers, especially between Lynn and Hendricks. For for Stroman, I, I think that you know it's a qualifying offer, so it's a one year deal. So the Mets aren't really going to care and not going to need to put him on an innings limit. Um, I, I think he's still going to be able to get over a hundred, and they're going to be effective barring any injury, which has of course been a concern for him in the past. I think the upside is really really exciting, not solely because of the fact that he has never posted a FIP above four in his career, which is just absolutely mind boggling to me. Um, 
I think it's also because the infield defense has improved drastically for the Mets, right? This is a team that has gone from a negative 15 outs above average on their infield, which was 24th in the MLB, to a six outs above average, which is now top 10 in the MLB. It's actually number six overall. That's huge for him right now. The other thing I'm curious about is when he was with the the Blue Jays the year he got traded, he was throwing a slider 35% of the time and a sinker 34% of the time. He had a 2.96 ERA with a 1-2-3 whip and a and that was over 124 innings pitch. So he was doing really well. And that was the most sliders he's ever thrown in his career. Then the Mets acquire him and they say, I don't care that we have the 21st, 24th worst infield defense in baseball. I want that sinker some more. They upped it up to 40% because God knows why. He got, <laughs> sink it up, he got, baby. It's, yeah, sink it up. Hey, we don't have a defense, but put the ball on the ground. Um he did get, get a few more whiffs. The slider was a little bit more effective, but the ERA, ERA went from 2.96 to 3.77. The whip goes up to pretty much 1.5. Uh, it's a new day in, in New York. I don't necessarily think we're going to see that. And even if we did, I'm more confident in having that infield defense behind him. If I'm looking at the ESPN player rater, a top 200, the last top 200 pitcher was Nathan Eovaldi at 3.72. Uh, obviously, I can't look at 2019 because I can't find that data. But I, I think that's very realistic for Marcus Stroman to have a mid to like mid to high three ERA. It wouldn't surprise me at all if next year Marcus Stroman had like a 3.5 ERA. I think that's a really nice pick going after pick 275, which will probably jump up now that he's uh, accepted that deal. Sure, but I don't think it's going to be cost prohibitive at all, especially coming off of a nothing year, you know, like no, no, uh, no pitching for him type of season. I think that people are going to continue to kind of undervalue Stroman and I, I'll be there. I'll be there to purchase. I, I you know, would have been fun to have some major disagreement. I kind of fake it and be like, I don't agree with that. If, if I do, and I absolutely agree with the picks you've made, including, uh, including Stroman here. So I'm excited to see what he can do coming off this season. He's one of those guys that, you know, I know he's all about, like the motivational stuff on, um, you know, a was it what hate uh, what, what height doesn't measure heart? That's oh, yeah, his, like yeah. slogan or whatever and all that. Look, I'm I'm all about that, and uh, as far as it working for him, and it's one of those intangibles that you can't really you can't really f- figure out how much impact it has, but I think it does have positive impact for him, and and certainly a guy like his at his size. Because if you're listed 5'7", you're probably 5'5". Five, five. Mm. You know? Because otherwise, if you were truly 5'7", you'd put 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, it's, just, it's just how it works. Sorry. If you see a guy listed 6' in sports, they're nowhere near 6 feet. Nowhere near. Uh, but he's, despite his size, he's had three full seasons in the last four. 204, 201, 102, and 184. So he can go. He's got durability that you don't expect from a guy his size. So I really like him. If the strikeout rate that he had with New York holds up, lots to like there. Now yeah. It's my turn to be a homer. You picked, uh, yeah. you picked a uh, an Oriole. I get to pick a Tiger here. And I went with Casey Mize, the, uh, the, the rookie that got time this year. I was surprised by that. If you told me that Casey Mize was going to pitch this year for the Tigers, I don't know that I would have been like, there's no way just because <laughs> – uh, you know, I I just would have said, but but why is probably yeah. my answer. Um, with the with the COVID season and all that is what I'm talking about. If, if standard six month season, I expected him to pitch, but with the COVID season, I was like, well, no, I I doubt it. And 
it didn't really go well. The the results are ugly. 699 ERA, 148 whip. Nothing that's really knocking anybody's socks off. But having watched his starts, I saw a lot to like in a lot of them. I saw rookie struggles to be sure. You know, getting punched in the mouth and like, damn, this big league stuff is pretty tough. But I saw stuff that, you know, poise and and rebounding and adjustments made batter to batter, lineup, time through the lineup to time through the lineup that were like, okay, he's starting to figure some things out. Love the splitty. Um, thought the fastball, you know, I thought the overall strikeout profile was better than we anticipated. He wound up at 20%, but he, he showed more capable swing and miss that I really think he'll be able to add to that as we go. He'll be age 24 next year. And I really think the big advancement that he's going to make is he's going to cut those home runs. I think some of the mistakes that he made with the home runs uh, were mis- <clears throat> were very correctable. They weren't things that I think are going to stick with Casey Mize. I think as he develops, the home run rate's absolutely going to come down. So even if the strikeout rate kind of lives in the 20 to 22% range um, and, and leaves him a little light as a, as a fantasy asset, I think – Everything else is gonna is going to come up or, or or improve around it. I should say, hits go down, homers go down, walks go down. So he's a big whip asset. Again, going back to that guy with maybe a little bit of a higher ERA, but a great whip. I could see that uh, that happening for him next year with like a four twenty ERA, but like a one fifteen whip. Um, so I'm excited about Casey Mize getting a full year, and I think he's going to be solid and and make some big improvements next year. And you yeah, know the I, fantasy community, the second that a guy, a, a rookie flops, we talk about it all the time, Justin yeah. and I. The second that a rookie flops, they're off. They don't they're exist. Done. They're persona non grata. They're the worst player ever. And it's like, are you kidding me, dude? Like, give give him a break. But he's going to yeah. pick 285 on average. I'm buying that up all day. Yeah, it, it is really fascinating to think about, too. I mean, just to kind of bring this entire thing full circle, right? When you look at his game logs, there, you know, he does give up earned runs in every single game that he has, but he really doesn't ha- He has one or two games where he goes into, like, the fifth or sixth inning, you know what I mean? Which is only going to exacerbate it. They were never really letting him out there each time with his last start being, I believe, the second longest of his season where he gave up six earned runs. Even if we go ahead and remove that start, you know, at least his ERA drops to closer to six than seven. Uh, yeah. So I like I just think they wanted him to go out there. They knew it was going to be a lost season. And they said, figure it out, man. Figure it yes. out on this level. We don't want you figuring it out against some scrubs at an alternate site. We want you to figure it out right now. Like, just go out there and have some fun. I don't. I think sometimes that can be a little bit concerning because it can hurt a guy's confidence. But there's no stakes there. You know what I mean? I don't and, think and that's the case an, with him. An overall number one. And, and you have to be careful balancing what you say about, you know, busting someone's confidence versus, hey, if this is going to break your confidence, you weren't going to make it anyway. You know, yeah. I, I think if you ask him, and this is conjecture, I don't know, but I think push come to shove, he's he's somebody who would be like, I'd rather be out there getting my butt kicked than than mowing down some twenty year old clown who's you know not going to make a top five hundred prospect list for the tiger for you know yeah. uh, in the Tigers organization at the alternate site. If he was in AAA, that's one thing. He'd be actually playing other people, getting some good competition. But the alternate site wasn't doing him any good. And even though he had to learn the hard way and take some beatings, I think Casey Mize is going to take a lot more from what he did this year at the big league level than anything he could have done at the uh, at, at the alternate site. I, I totally agree. agree. The skill set, the skill set's there. So I'm, I'm with you. All right. Well, th- there's our guys there just to review. 
Guys we think could be top 50 going 90 to 150. I took Pablo Lopez. Alex took Lance McCullers Jr. Guys we think could be top 100 going 150 to 210. Joe Musgrove for me. The cop out for Alex was Charlie Morton because we know how great he is. He's been great before, but age, he might retire. We don't know where he's going. But then the, the riskier answer was Aaron Savali, who you guys know I love. Top 150 going 210 to 275. I took Jose Arquiti. Alex took John Means. And top 200 going 275 or later, I took Casey Mize and Alex took Marcus Stroman. Alex, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. The last time you were on, I missed it. It was you and uh, you and Justin, and I didn't even know it was happening, and I was bummed about that. I was very <laughs> I'm bummed. Thank you for having me. I'm trying to think of like if there's one quick thing we can disagree on just to to help people scratch that itch. Is there any hot take that you uh, that you have? Uh, do you uh, think Boyd's gonna bounce back at all? No, I I I kind of think he is what he is. Like I'm still a Boyd boy in that I'm rooting for him. Like, or I guess here's the question: Can I still be a Boyd boy if I don't think that he's gonna bounce back? No, dude, banish it. I'm out. Yeah, you're banished. Good. I don't want to be there. You guys suck. <laughs> this is a shitty club to be in in the first place. <laughs> all right, cool. That's how that? we can end. That's always end on a disagreement is what I always say. That's the great way to put it. Uh, where can people uh, find you on the internet, Alex? Yeah, they can find me uh, at AlexFast8 uh, on Twitter, and I'll, I'll be there you know, just doing a bunch of random stats and trying to look for meaning in my life until baseball returns. Oh, dude, you're... Um... Your stuff's great as far as remember the breakdowns that you were doing. Are you still doing those, by the way? I haven't checked your Twitter probably in a couple of weeks, if I'm being 100% honest. I, I, they, uh, there could be, s- uh, I'm going to leave it vague. Yes, I'll say yes. And I'll, I'll talk to you more about that off, off air. Okay. Yeah. Th- those, those were excellent. But you're always putting out, um, like just great little offhanded stat boards, too. They remind me of, of the Bloom boards that that uh, Ryan Bloomfield does from Baseball HQ. The same type of vibe, giving a lot of good information, confined to one tweet. So keep that up. You're the best. We're going to get you through the winter, folks. If you love baseball and you hate that there's no baseball all winter, guys like Alex, guys like myself, we take you through. So, Alex, thank you so much for joining me. We'll have you on again very soon. We'll bring Justin into the fold. You guys can uh, argue about uh, Caleb Smith. <laughs> and, and you know what? Maybe we can do a tag team match. Let's you and, do it. You and Nick versus me and Justin. And we and it's just two hours on Caleb Smith. And we just tag <laughs> it. Nick starts beating me on a point about him. He's, he goes back to those those nine key starts. I tag in Justin. I'm like, Justin, get in here. And he starts going. Nick starts to get a little wobbly. He calls you in. I think we should do that. So thank you so much for being on. Love you, brother. And uh, talk soon. All right, man. Thanks for having me.